Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Thanks, Tom, for answering. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Mike. I'm a part of the preaching team here at Branches. Uh, before we begin, I do just have one announcement. Um, B-Kids classes are starting up next week. That's next Sunday, September 6th. Give it a round of applause. Uh, yeah, we here at Branches, we follow the school calendar, sort of-ish, so we're, we're pretty much trying to stick to that and, and start B-Kids classes back up uh, for all of us with uh, kiddos. So what we're going to do is we're going to have an outdoor sign-in so that we can get a fresh breeze and we're not corralling in there and breathing on each other. Um, so all of our teachers are going to be wearing masks, and kids are encouraged to also wear masks, so it's, it's not required. We're going to do our best to social distance and make that a good experience for the kiddos and for the teachers. So, any questions you have, you can talk to Sarah Payton, if you know Sarah, or you can talk to Tom, or any of the leaders here at Branches. So that's next week, September 6th, the kids starts. So guys, like, I'm really excited to be here to keep talking about our conversation regarding identity. Who are we? Who are you? What does it mean for you to be you? How much time do you think you spend trying to answer that question? Like maybe thinking about your Enneagram type takes up the most time for you. Trying to figure out what it is inside that makes you tick. What about social media? That's it for me. I'm affectionately called the king of Facebook at home. I don't think it's affectionate. How much time do you spend on social media trying to demonstrate to your audience this is what it means to be me? The question of identity is one we seem really focused on answering these days. That's why I think it's so timely that we're addressing this question in our series, Who Are We? Today, I'd like to shift our focus just slightly to ask, who are we individually? Who does God say you are? Like, I wish I could hang out with you every day, and I could get to know you really well, and I could help you answer that question for yourself, and you could help me answer that question for myself. We would come to a deeper understanding about one another. We would understand how God gifted us and called us, and we would find out surprising things, like how Terry McGrath is not called to be a doctor, but rather a rodeo cowboy. Just a total star, roping those doggies on the dust bowl circuit. I can't hang out with Terry every day to discover that and rope doggies along with him but I wish I could. All I can do from here is talk about who God says you are from his words in scripture and hopefully encourage you and inspire you to keep asking him that question, you know? And the rest will be up to him. So let's start our conversation where the Bible starts, right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. Did you know that 
the first three days of the creation story correspond to the second three days. They go together. Day one and day four, they go together. Two and five go together. Three and six go together. There's a, a pattern that starts to develop as you read through Genesis 1. So, on day one, God says those famous words, let there be light. He separates light from the dark, calling the light day and the dark night. On day four, God makes heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, separate to do the work of separating light from darkness, to help humans tell time, to help us understand the seasons. God makes a container on day one, and on day four, God fills the container. This is the pattern, and it continues. On day two, God says, let there be a space between the waters above and the waters below, and he called that space the sky. On day five, he creates birds to fill up the sky and fish to swim in the seas. God makes a container, and then God fills the container. Day three and six, it's the same. God makes the dry land, and then he makes the creatures, the animals that will crawl along the dry land. God makes a container. God fills the container. You see the pattern. So the question is, what about us? Day six isn't over. We live on the land too, right? How do we fit into the pattern? God speaks again. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals that crawl all over the land. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So, what about us? We were created to be the place where heaven and earth come together. In fact, the text will go on to tell us that that's what day seven is all about. The Sabbath day, God's rest. It's the rest of a king on his throne. With his authority, we're blessed and told to rule, right? God takes up the rule of creation through us because he made us to bear or to contain his image. You see the pattern? Humanity is the container. God is who fills. You are the container. God is who fills. In all your thoughts and your feelings and your actions and every part of your being, you were made to bear his likeness and to rule the world accordingly. We really have no idea the heights for which we were created. Not really. 
does God say you are? Who did he make you to be? You guys, you were made to be the physical representations of God himself in the world. That's what it means to be truly human. A true human reflects God truly, and that human exists in a connected and corresponding relationship to their maker for the good of the world. If only all of our stories had stopped right there, we'd be good. Everything would be cool. But the human story does continue. And we all know how it continues. It's kind of like the first raindrop on a car window. You know, any other raindrops that fall nearby will merge their path with the first and continue on in the same path. They'll follow right along. That's what sin is. It's the collected raindrops of the human race following the direction set out by Adam and Eve. Like how many times has frustration or pride or fear asked you to trade away your trust in God's management of things and take control for yourself? That's my story. That's the human story. Because this is what reality became after the man and the woman encountered the serpent. A being over which they were created to rule, somehow, ruled over them. He offered them the chance to manage things for once. Tempting them with power, the temptation to become like God. The tragic irony being they were already like God. They were the place where heaven and earth came together. True humans. Already they had God's authority in earth, on earth. Like what more could they want? That is the tragedy and the absurdity of sin. It's not the breaking of some arbitrary law from a cosmic cop. It's the betrayal of our very nature. To reject God is to reject the one in whose image we were made. It is to reject ourselves and to become a little less human as a result and a little bit more animal. You guys, my life is marked by moments where I've given myself away to my favorite vices, the things that make me feel good, craving the sensory input that I want. Just like an animal, relying on instinct, but not wisdom. Relying on my lizard brain, but not God's spirit. I've chosen the path of Adam and Eve. All of us, like raindrops, merging with the first, have chosen the same. So who does God say you are? Like who are you made to be? Not this. Not this. You and I have betrayed our purpose 
We've betrayed our loved ones and our neighbors. We have betrayed our true selves and our God in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. When we were made instead to be more dignified, more exalted, more amazing than we can possibly understand. Containers made for God. Thrones. Thrones where God rests and rules. How can we ever get back there now? One time, my daughter Bree asked almost the very same question. I think uh, we were in the car driving and talking about God as we do sometimes, and she asked, how is God going to make things better? It was something like that, right, Bridgie? She's right there. Yeah, it was something like that. How is God going to make things better? Her favorite questions are the ones that sound simple, but that don't have simple answers. There's no simple answer to that question. She keeps me on my toes, which I appreciate. I really wanted to get the answer right. I really wanted it to be something she would understand, you know? So, I made up a little story. A story that I thought could help her understand how God set out to fix the world. Imagine a crowded beach, I said. It's sunny, it's hot, people are splashing around, having a good time. When all of a sudden, a giant gray shark fin rises up out of the water, heading straight toward the swimmers. On the beach are a father and his son. The father's a doctor, he's older, and he's invited his adult son, his oldest son, out for a restful, fun day on the beach. They're hanging out with everybody, they're having a good time. They're the first who notice the shark fin in the water. The son stands up and rushes into the water while the father yells out, Shark! Get out of the water, everyone! Come to me! Come to me! The son swims right toward the shark, trying to draw its attention away from the people to fix its attention only on him. And the shark takes the bait because it's too good. It's too easy. It attacks knowing that this meal, this man will be the first of many. All those razor sharp teeth go into the sun. And not just the teeth that are showing, but all the teeth inside of the shark's gums and everything that the shark's genetics would produce in the future, all of it, everything goes into the sun. The father dives in to save his son. He reaches the shark and wrestles his son away and brings him back to shore. He's a doctor, so he knows exactly what to do. Right there on the beach, he tends to his son's wounds. He resuscitates him. He removes every tooth, sews up every bite. He brings him back to life. It's a miracle. Now, there's nothing out in those waves but a toothless shark swimming around. And on the beach, a living son 
who offered himself instead of letting anybody else get hurt. The shark represents death. And it's still scary. No doubt. It can still drag down the swimmers. But it cannot now hold on to them. It cannot consume them because it's got no teeth. How's God going to make things better, Bree asked. My answer was, Jesus made death toothless. Still scary, no doubt. But it cannot now consume us. In a very real sense, you guys, God's mission to make things better in the world is the story of the Son coming out to where we are so that we would have an opening, a way to get to the Father. How can we ever get back to who we were made to be? When Jesus takes the wounds of the shark attack, he makes that opening for us to head for shore. So instead of the old path, the raindrop path of Adam and Eve headed away from God, now we can choose to swim toward God and enter back into that connected and corresponding relationship that we were always made for. Jesus provides the way. And it's the Holy Spirit who finally seals that deal. See, God gives us his spirit when we head back into shore, when we come back to him when we take Jesus up on the chance to return to the Father. We become containers again, given a second chance to be our true selves by returning to the image that we were always made to bear. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this from his own perspective, from his own calling as an apostle in 2 Corinthians, but it remains true for us all. He writes, For God, who said on day one, let there be light, he made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. Because of Jesus, Humanity has been restored to their true status and their true nature. The treasure we carry is the gift of God's own spirit. His personal presence, once again resting on the throne of creation, the throne of our hearts. And it's the treasure of the good news. The message that the one true human, the only person to perfectly obey God, to perfectly reflect God, that he saved everybody. And he is now king over the whole world. And we're his bride. Adam and Eve, as they always should have been. Who does God say you are? You are heaven and earth married once again, humble jars of clay but bearing a precious, valuable treasure. 
And that's not for nothing. Your reconnection to God because of Jesus was done for a purpose. For your sake, definitely. But also for the sake of the people around you. So we put together a few simple ways to help you continue discovering God's purposes for your reconnection with him. One of those ways is to ask him yourself, who do you say I am? Ask him to remind you how he sees you. I don't know about you, but I get distracted. I get bogged down by stress and bad days, and I forget how God sees me. I get distracted by really good days, and I forget how God sees me. I forget. What if we simply talk to him about it, you know? Like, ask him to remind us who we are and made the choice to trust that he'll really answer us. So not only can you ask him yourself, but you can discover it for yourself. Seeking what more scripture says about who we really are. Might I humbly suggest reading one of the gospel stories? The book of John is my favorite but they're all pretty good. <laughs> they're all good. Read it like a novel that you can't put down. Read it all the way through and watch Jesus the whole time. How he approaches people, how he talks to people and cares for them and loves them. And then cast yourself in their roles. Put yourself there and understand that this is how God approaches people. This is who he is, and this is who you are. You'll be encouraged. You'll be challenged, no doubt. Go deeper into these stories, into all of Scripture, and go deeper into yourself. Discover who God says you are individually. How did God create you to serve his purposes? What's your personality? What are your strengths? What are the talents he gave you? Not only for your good, but for the good of others. Branches can help you discover this. You can begin a journey with the leaders here that will help you find your gifting, your talents. You can find your Enneagram type for you, your personality, what makes you tick. You guys, we can discover how God has equipped you to use your gifts for the good of the world. Because you carry the image of God. You bear his spirit. And it's not for nothing. You were made to be the person you are, not only for yourself, but for others. God has equipped you in a specific way in order to carry his image into a broken and overwhelmed world. And to offer it the gifts that he has given you. That is kingdom work. That's what Jesus did. And to look like him is to find your true self. Sharing a precious treasure carried in a humble jar of clay. Next week, 
David Grant goes deeper into what it means to go on this journey. Answering the question, how do we share the precious treasure for God's purposes, for the good of those around us? So come on back for that. It's going to be a barn burner. In the meantime, as the worship band returns, we're going to enter into something we call ministry time. During our prayer this morning, we had a few things that we feel like God was speaking to the prayer team. If any of these resonate with you, you guys, feel free to come up and to get prayer after the last song is played. Okay? Let me pray for us, and then the band will take it away. God, we love you. We love you because you loved us first. You took the attention of the shark and you saved us. The great work and the great mission of God is to demonstrate how much, how much you love us. To take into your body death itself so that we could live. That is love. That makes us your beloved. Thank you for loving us to that extent. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. All we can do is sing to you in gratitude now, offering you nothing, having empty hands, but offering our whole self to you. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.